If you would, please turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Romans 5. Uh, If you don't have your own copy with you, there are Bibles in the uh, chairs in front of you, and I would ask that you follow along if you would. It's on page 942 in the Bibles on the rows. It's Romans 5. We're going to be reading 1 to 11. Uh, This will be our text throughout Advent. Uh, So Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. Hear God's Word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that... We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we ask that this morning you would make your word a swift word that would pass from our ears to our hearts, from our hearts to our lips in conversation. And knowing that as the rain returns not empty, so neither would your word but that it would accomplish what it was given for and that it would work, Lord, for our good and joy and for your glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Peace. Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. Peace is something that humanity longs for, but it's a pursuit that I think very often falls short. On top of that, it's a term we use, but I'm not sure we understand what actually makes for peace, for true peace. Is peace simply an absence of conflict? If there's no active war occurring, is there then peace? It's what is often thought of when we hear that word, but uh, how that's termed is actually it's called negative peace. Uh, There's an absence of conflict, so then therefore there is peace. It's an idea of negative peace, but I I believe that's a a fairly short-sighted view of what peace is. This week, I I read about the Global Peace Index. I don't know if any of you are familiar with it. I was not really familiar with it before this. It was initiated by a guy named Steve Kilalea, who was an Australian entrepreneur and philanthropist. And currently, it's overseen by the Institute of Economics and Peace, And the index ranks the countries of the world with some broad domains um, uh, in regards to their peacefulness. And these broad domains are safety and security and society. Um, So um, uh, then ongoing conflict, whether it's domestic or international, and then militarization. And because you're probably curious, the most peaceful rated nation, any any guesses? I know, I don't normally do this. Iceland. Iceland, maybe because it's in the middle of nowhere and nobody wants anything to do with it. I don't know, but Iceland is the most peaceful nation and has been for a number of years. The least peaceful nation is Afghanistan, 
and we're all wondering where does the U.S. fall. According to the Global Peace Index, we are 122nd out of 163. Um, So apparently we're not a very peaceful nation. But is peace quantifiable like this? Can we quantify this? Maybe to an extent, but there is certainly a strand of peace that's more felt or, or even qualitative and thus harder to measure. And again, what are we actually talking about when we're using the word peace? The dictionary gives a number of distinctions with it. It's, it could be a state of tranquility or, or quiet, which is you know, freedom from civil disturbance, a, a place of security. But then how long does that last? And could you go to a place that's tranquil and quiet in the midst of an ongoing conflict and actually be experiencing peace? Another thread is that peace is freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. Or is it simply speaking of harmony within uh, personal relations with others? Honestly, there's a tremendous, uh, ver- there's a lot of variety to peace, but there's also a tremendous lack of peace in our world. Not just in the global index, but in our hearts and in our souls to the very core of our beings. I was reading in a great little book called The Everlasting Righteousness by um, Horatius Bonar, and he wrote this. He said, many are the causes of dispeace, and I like it because he made up a word because that's not in the dictionary, but I make up words, so it's kind of fun to see him do that too. So many are the causes of dispeace. Sin is the root of all. Where unpardoned sin is, there cannot be peace. Many are the subordinate causes, an empty soul, disappointment, wounded affection, worldly losses, bereavement, vexations, cares, weariness of spirit, broken homes, deceitful friendships, our own blunders and failures, the misconduct or unkindnesses of others, these produce dispeace. These are the winds that ruffle the surface of life's sea. You know, we can attempt to measure peace all we want, but if we don't get to the root of it, no one is going to know true peace. Sin is behind the lack of peace for humanity, which, which that should press us to consider then, how do we deal with that? How do we deal with sin? How do we deal with the root that causes dispeace? How can we dig up this root? Now, sadly, too many pursue false roads towards peace. A lot of people are pursuing different roads. Perhaps uh, people try and forget that God exists at all, because if there is no God, then there's no sin. Because who, who are we offending against? If there's no God, there's, there's no sin, but those efforts fail. Some simply pursue the ways of the world. Here's an effort to, to mask the dispeace or the, the discord that someone feels and, and, and forget about sin by filling life with pleasure and good. But again, that's all in vain. Peace does not come through this pursuit. And I'm sure there are myriad other ways that people attempt to deal with our lack of peace. But only God can give to humanity true peace. We read in our assurance of pardon the great words of the heavenly host to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace only comes from the gracious favor of God. That is our only hope, is God's gracious favor. And I hope that today we see that this peace that is from God has the ability then to influence other areas of our lives, our experience of peace in all areas of life. It influences the heart, the mind, the spirit, even in the midst of less than peaceful earthly circumstances. So this is what we're going to look at this morning as we continue in our Advent series.
As a reminder, Advent is a season of waiting. It's a season of anticipation. We learn to wait in Advent. That's part of it all. We learn to hope and trust. Just as the people of God waited for the first coming of the Messiah, we now await his return where all will be set right and he will bring true peace and and full peace to all the earth. So this morning, we're going to look at two main ideas from this text. The ground of peace and then the gift of peace. So the ground and the gift of peace. And hopefully in all of this, we'll see how we can and ought to, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, live in the peace which he alone provides. And so my prayer is that today we see the beauty of the peace of God. So let's look at verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. First thing, you, uh, when you start a text like this and you come across a word such as therefore, you've heard me say this before, you have to back up. You have to determine what the therefore is there for, right? So we have to know why it's there. Now, Paul is laid out very clearly in the first three chapters of the letter to the Romans uh, that humanity is sinful. He's taken out time and, and laid it out very clearly. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are guilty before God. There is none righteous, no, not one. And then in 321, hope shoots to the surface. As Paul gives one of the most packed paragraphs in all of Scripture, where in it he talks about the righteousness of God is revealed in Christ Jesus. The righteousness, our justification for those who have faith in Christ Jesus. And then in chapter 4, Paul uses Abraham as a prime example of one who is justified by faith. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. You see that in chapter 4, verses 5 and 22. His faith was the instrument of his being declared righteous or just in the sight of God. Now, we could obviously spend more time here, but let's do this. Let's define what justification is. And I find this definition to be very helpful. Justification is an act of God's free grace. So it's his act. He has done it. It's declared wherein he pardons all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight, but only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. That's justification. That is what has happened to those who by faith turn to Jesus Christ. Now, I also don't want to assume that all of us understand what faith is. We use that word a lot in the church. So what is faith? Faith is our believing response to God. It is our receiving and resting alone upon his promise of salvation that is given to us in the gospel. Now that idea of resting, I think resting, just even in that definition of of what faith is, resting speaks a lot to peace. Because unrest is not peaceful, right? I mean, that's maybe a, a synonym you could use for, for no peace, uh, for lack of peace, is unrest. So what does it mean to rest upon Christ for salvation? Basically, it's this. It's understanding and being convinced that you, yourself, have no ability or sufficiency, nor could you find it in any others to get yourself out of that sinful spiritual condition. So you're first convinced of that, and then you have to move past that. You come to see Christ's ability and willingness to save. 
So as you have, have, have seen your sin and you've seen and apprehended Christ's grace and mercy and ability and willingness to save, you let go your hold on anything else. You renounce your own righteousness so that you lay hold of Christ and place your confidence in Him alone for salvation. That is resting in Him alone. And this involves believing what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. All of this to say, our justification, the, the, the way our sin is dealt with, it is only found by faith in Jesus Christ. That is our only hope. Now, these words by one commentator are so well stated. He had said before that faith is abolished if righteousness is sought by works. Okay, so if you seek it by works, you're not by faith. They're opposites. And in this case, perpetual inquietude would disturb miserable souls as they can find nothing substantial in themselves. But he teaches us now that they are rendered quiet and tranquil when we have obtained righteousness by faith. We have peace with God, and this is the peculiar fruit of the righteousness of faith. When anyone strives to seek tranquility of conscience by works, which is the case with profane and ignorant men, he labors for it in vain. For either his heart is asleep through his disregard or forgetfulness of God's judgment, or else it is full of trembling and dread until it reposes on Christ, who is alone our peace. If we're relying on our own works, there will be disquietude. It is the gift of peace and tranquility when we turn to Christ and his justification by faith alone. This justification is the ground of our peace. It is the the peace that is through our Lord Jesus Christ. His perfect life and sacrificial death have brought us peace with God. Look at verses 6 to 9. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Folks, this is the gospel. Quite simply, while we were still weak, while we were sinful, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And you notice the contrast with what we see in humanity. It says humanity may die for a righteous or a good person. They they, they might do that. You know, um, a parent very well would die for their child. They love them deeply. But, and that's a big contrast here, but God shows his love for us in that while we were yet what? Sinners. Christ died for us. That's a massive difference. It's a massive contrast between humanity and God. Humanity will die for the good, but God died for the ungodly. He died for the sinners. Therefore, we will be saved from the wrath of God because Christ already bore that wrath, which that then leads us to the gift of peace. So we have peace. Peace is the privilege of those who believe. 
of those who have faith in Christ Jesus. In the Old Testament, peace was often viewed as a gift given by God when he fulfilled his promises, when he fulfilled his covenantal promises, that, that peace would come at that fulfillment. In another way, peace or shalom, the, the, the Hebrew word for peace, could be seen as well-being in all areas of life. And, and peace is, is part of God's overarching goodness to his people. We've talked about God's goodness in our last series. That, that, that peace is part of his goodness. It flows out of our good God. Now, in light of it being part, though, of the fulfillment of his promises, let's hear a couple of those promises that point to uh, this peace, and this peace in particular coming through the Davidic king, through Jesus, through the Messiah who was born a baby. We heard it earlier, Isaiah 9, 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. You hear that fulfillment You hear that fulfillment in the one, to us a child is born. He'll be the Prince of Peace. He came in humility. As a baby, he took on human flesh. Another text, Micah 5. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, were too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days, speaks to the divinity of this one who's coming. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth, and the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure. For now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace." The one who came as a baby, that one is our peace. He is our peace. So then, what does this peace entail? He's our peace. God has given us peace. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this peace entail? What does it mean that we have peace with God? Now, as we've already talked about, this primarily, this peace is in relation to our forgiveness of sin. It's in relation to the fact that we have been forgiven by God. and the pe- that it, so, so our peace, in many ways, flows from having that dread thought of wrath removed. Because we, as those who have faith in Christ Jesus, are certain, we have assurance that we are justified in Christ Jesus. We don't have this out of arrogance. This is not arrogance because it's not based on works. But in humility in our belief and trust in the grace of God in Christ. We know that we could never earn it or work for it, though we rightly display the fruit of justification in good works in our lives, but it is a gift through and through. Now, just a thought experiment for a moment. Consider what the opposite would be of a lack of confidence that you are justified or a lack of assurance. 
So you're in relation to God. You, you realize that you're sinful. You realize that you deserve the wrath of God, but you have absolutely no assurance and no confidence that your sins are forgiven. Bonner put it this way, not to know whether we are out of danger must be as fatal to peace of soul as the certainty of danger itself. If you don't know, you're not going to have peace of soul. How can you if you're constantly thinking, am I, am I, wait, wait, is it taken care of? Am I good? You know, you're neurotic. But as believers, we know that God is for us. I may quote this text often and, and to, to, to drill it deeply into my own soul and yours, but it's not there yet. So here, Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And I dare say, and I believe firmly, peace is one of those all things that he graciously gives to his people. Let's not question the one who is for us. He has given us peace. So knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we stand in Christ Jesus united to him before the Father, that we are no longer in danger of God's wrath, that calms the soul. That brings peace. Our sins are forgiven in Christ Jesus. And although forgiveness alone would be amazing, a treasure beyond measure, peace is more than simply a standing of forgiveness. It rather speaks of the fact that we are reconciled with the Father. We, we, we now have complete fellowship and all-around well-being with him. Look at verses 10 and 11 of, of Romans 5. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So, so listen to that language. While we were enemies, okay, we're going back to that enemies part. Yet, we were reconciled to God through Christ, and we shall be saved. We were reconciled. We were restored from a status of enmity with God to one of intimacy and fellowship. Now, we don't use reconciled, I think, that much in our day-to-day language. But we do hear it in one particular arena in our world, don't we? Divorce court. Right? How many people have cited irreconcilable differences as the reason for divorce? They're often cited as that grounds, and they could be an array of issues, but, but, but they're stated to be, these are issues that we cannot resolve. We cannot reunite. We cannot come back into a relationship of peace with one another because we have these differences that are utterly and completely irreconcilable. And yet we who have offended a holy God in our sin, in our rebellion. He doesn't say, you know what, those are just irreconcilable. He reconciles. He gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given himself to to those with, with repentance. With repentance and faith, folks, there are no irreconcilable differences. As we turn 
to him. I, I, I've run into so many people in, in my time in ministry that say, I don't think God can forgive me of that. Yeah. Yes, he can. Are you saying his son's sacrifice is not enough for you? He has graciously given his son. There are no irreconcilable differences for those who by faith repent and believe in the gospel. And I think with all this, part of this gift of peace that comes is peace of conscience. It's a peace that surpasses understanding that guards our hearts and our minds as we go to the one who gave his son and will graciously give us all we need. The peace continues as we daily rest and rely upon God. Philippians 4, 4 through 7, very familiar passage to many. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. So God is there. He's there and he's there for you as a believer. And what comes next? Do not be anxious about anything. Anxiety is disquietude, right? So do not be anxious about anything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Here's peace. In the midst of circumstances that can lead to anxiety, here's peace. Go to God. Present your requests. But I will say, if you turn to yourself and turn inward, there is no security nor peace in that. There's no security there. There's no comfort in ourselves. We have peace in our Lord Jesus Christ, who is constantly interceding on our behalf. That's what Romans 8.34 tells us. He's interceding for his people, for those who are united to him by faith. He is interceding before the Father continually on our behalf. That's amazing to think that the Savior of all is interceding for me before the Father on my behalf. I mean, how comforting is it when you get a note from somebody that says, hey, I'm praying for you. I find it comforting. Every day, Jesus could send you that text. It says, hey, I'm praying for you. And he's a perfect mediator. <laughs> so those prayers are pretty good. So let's look a, little, a bit more broadly now at this peace. And Bonner put it better than I could. He said, it is peace of conscience, peace with God, peace with the law of God, peace with the holiness of God. It is reconciliation, friendship, fellowship, and all this in a way which prevents the dread or possibility of future variance or distance or condemnation. Man, that sounds great. For it is not simply peace, but the peace of the cross. Peace extracted from the cross. Peace founded on and derived from what the cross reveals and what the cross has done. It is peace whose basis is forgiveness. No condemnation. It is peace which comes from our knowledge of the peacemaking work of Calvary. It is true peace, sure peace, present peace, righteous peace, divine peace, heavenly peace, the peace of God, the peace of Christ, complete peace pervading the whole being. That's the gift of peace we have. That's the peace which comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace is both 
You know, we talked about the Global Peace Index a little bit that is kind of qualitative and quantitative in some ways. This piece is both objective and subjective that we have with God. It's objectively there and true that we have peace with God. There is no more enmity. There's no more wrath for our sins because of the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have faith in him, there is no more wrath for you. It has been poured out on Christ alone, and it will not be for you. So that is our objective peace. He's our atoning sacrifice. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And subjectively, though, we feel this peace. We experience this peace. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God, Romans 8, 15, and 16, which that being a child of God comes only through faith, faith and repentance. To those who believed in him, he gave the right to become children of God. So now let's ask the so what question. Why does or, or even how does this matter to us? And I'm sure you've thought of some of the ways, and hopefully some of them have hit you a little bit this morning, but let me try and give you a few more. And I'm going to, to, to synthesize and maybe add a bit more to what Bonar had put in his, in his wonderful chapter in this book. And so first, the peace of God calms our storms and breaks our bonds. It calms our storms and breaks our bonds. An unforgiven spirit is a whirlwind. It is a whirlwind. The, the, the feelings of guilt are brutal to peace. A troubled conscience is one that recalls the evil deeds done and the, the good left undone and then attempts to deal with it on its own. And it will never find peace that way. But the Lord bestows on us forgiveness and that is a blessing of rest to our weary souls and consciences. And so then we learn to walk in freedom, freedom to love God and others because we've been set free. We no longer feel that storm in the same way. We don't have the same bonds. Further, the peace of God removes our burdens. To be in dread of God, to have a lack of reconciliation, and to be uncertain about one's future, this is disquieting to the soul. And you can understand that, can't you? Just pick a, human, a close human relationship that you have. And something went on between you. And you don't know what's going on. And there's this distance between. There's no peace when there's that distance, when there's the unresolved issues going on. There is no peace in that relationship. There's uncertainty and a lack of knowing where things stand. That's not fun. That's, that's anxiety-producing. Yet, in Christ and his work, that burden is lifted he has taken it away. We have received reconciliation with God. We have it. It is our present possession as believers. The peace of God also strengthens us. Folks, when we know that we are forgiven because we trust the word of God, we step forward in confidence into this world. Sure, it may be a bit of a mess and much of it is antithetical to the gospel, but we go forth knowing that if God is for us, who can be against us? 
So we can go boldly yet peaceably and share the good news of reconciliation and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ with a world that is sorely lacking peace. If we want to see that global peace index change, people need to know Jesus. That's the only true hope. Further, the peace of God cheers us in trials. We looked at some of this last week as we talked about hope. Paul moves right into, in Romans 5, into the hope that we have as we endure suffering and knowing we are at peace with God, knowing that there is the hope of glory, that that allows us to rejoice in those trials and to be peaceful through them. Nothing can truly harm us, folks. Even if we lose our lives in severe trial, we will be with the Lord. And the peace of God enables us to wait. When you're in a state of discord, it is nearly impossible to wait, at least to wait with, you know, you could even call it eager patience. It's really hard to do that when you're disquieted. But when you have confidence that you have been taken care of, that you are loved, that you will be with God for all eternity, you can wait. You can endure. You can wait through whatever darkness or difficulty you encounter. It, Christ is our solid rock. Christ is the light that comes into the world that will shine the light in our darkness. And even in the midst of a dark time, that, that assurance and that peace we have with God keeps us going. So do you want peace? Do you want peace? Turn to your only hope. Rest alone in him. Turn to the Prince of Peace. Hear the song of the angels. Peace is found with the baby born in Bethlehem. This peace is for sinners like you and me. It's a peace made for us. It's a peace given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's rest in him and enjoy his peace. Let's pray. Father, Lord, teach us to rest in your peace. Teach us to know you, to trust you, to delight in your word, to delight in who you are. Father, empower us. Speak to our hearts. Calm our anxious spirits. And may we know your peace well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.